How many sinners does it take to start a podcast? No, man. No. I'm going to stop you right there. Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic guys podcast of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. I'm Bobby. And I'm Cody. Cody? Who's you mean this, Corey? Who's this guy? Do you mean Corey? We got a new guy here. It's Cordy, actually. Cordy. Actually, yeah, the, the priest that we at our school asked what his name was, and he said, Cody. And he was like, Corey? And he was like, Cody. And he said, Corey? And then he said, Cody with a D. And he's like, oh, Cordy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, Cody, who are you? Yeah, my name is Cody. Rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 of your ability to sin. Oh, ability to sin. Oh, it's got to be an 11, my man. 7 yeah. times 70 times. I am, I am, in fact, a sinner. I attend... How much do you want to know about me? Basically... Cord- Cordy, last name redacted. <laughs> works at a place, works redacted. A- <laughs> you can never know. Yeah. How do you, how do you know us? Well, we work together. Yeah, <laughs> at the school name redacted. School name redacted. School name redacted. Glad you said that. Yeah, I I graduated from school name redacted. With oh, you went to Franciscan University. They know. They all know. <laughs> I am very adamant about my love for Franciscan. With a and I, I have just had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Seraphim this year. Mr. So. Seraphim. Ha. Cherubim. All right. Yeah, he's actually he's not he's not the ninth choir. He's like mm-hmm. a principality or something but today (laughs) today we are talking about something we've been pretty chipper so far but it's actually a pretty depressing topic i would say uh as i feel like we're like contractually obligated to talk about this because it's like relevant right now well we're in talks right now as sony and disney are in talks you and i are still Mm -hmm. yep i may still withdraw (laughs) and run to a cave this is my first time recording without alec it's actually technically the first episode without Alec on the entire podcast. I don't feel right. I know. I don't um, even think you turned the machine on. God, yeah. This just, actually isn't recording. We're, just we're talking. all just talking. In, wait, why isn't my mic plugged into anything? <laughs> Alec, I didn't think you need to. Alec, we need you. It's yeah. He he's he is off and about. He actually he he got a job, so we can't make fun of him for being unemployed anymore. Can you believe that? No, that was part of the contract. That was part of the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. You, uh, Sinner's take might be may be ending because Alec went and got a job. Boo, Alec's growing up. Yeah, he's working at some school. He's like, it's like, I guess it's part-time. I'm sure he'll he'll talk more about it later on. But because, yeah, he's still studying for law school and all that stuff. So he's not here. So we found this guy off the street, Cody, Truly. and he's going to share his thoughts on our, wh- de- our depressing topic. Yeah, which is what, Bobby? What is the topic? Well, what's going on right now is that and this a similar survey came out in the 90s from what i heard too of, of yeah honestly this this was all i remember i remember having this exact same discussion but it did not get the backlash that it did earlier or like and twitter wasn't around so i don't think it was as debated as to the extent that it has been or, or fingers pointing at the the excuses of why a recent pew 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 study pew, poll pew, pew. <laughs> says that belief in the Eucharist amongst Catholics themselves is at an all-time, is, is low. It's extremely low. It's something like under 30% of Catholics under the age of 40 think the Eucharist is just a nice sign or symbol, don't really believe it's the true presence of Christ. And again, if it was one thing, it'd be one thing if it were people outside the church that just thought it, but if for Catholics themselves to not even understand what's at the central mystery of our faith is pretty discouraging. 
and there's there's actually pretty substantial numbers of the people who don't believe it some of them are ignorant of it but then there's also a large number of people who have been told and they know that that's what the church teaches but they still say that they don't believe that i think it's one thing to struggle with belief yeah and trying to wrap your head around it that's that's a thing but when again when you have people that have gone through k through 12 catholic school and still don't there's been a lot of failures i you know eddie and i've been talking about it there's not a single thing i think you can point at I think there's a, there's so many different factors that have brought us here. And I, because of my faith and hope, I'm a little more optimistic of the work to be done and not just like, I don't care to finger point at the way a liturgy is or isn't, or it's easy. It's easier to try to find a scapegoat and say, that's the reason we lost this generation. or That's the reason. And I think it's a whole bunch of different things put together that have led us to a hot mess. So what, what are, what are some of those things then for, well, I mean, in your opinion, well, I want to hear your your guys' take. No, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. Yeah, Cody, what are your what are your initial thoughts? Take. I asked you first. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I said first. The new guy, <laughs> Eddie. The new guy, really? Yeah. Cordy's gonna come in here and boss me around. Better is one day in your cords. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, let's let's yeah, what look you, at what are your thoughts, Cordy? Yeah, I guess my my initial reaction to this is is, I mean. Maybe it's a little sad, but partly is that it's not really all that shocking. I wouldn't have expected the numbers to be higher. It's depressing that they are as low as they are, but it's not something that I look at and I'm like, oh gosh, I thought it was so like such a higher number. I guess the one thing, as I, as I was like preparing for this, because this is my first ever podcast, I felt the need to ready myself. I guess the one thought that came to mind was just that th- there are so many people that lack a true encounter with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. I was working as a youth minister at Parish Name Redacted, and um, <laughs> we led a we led a, a middle school summer camp. It was just a not even a week long. It was a Tuesday through a Friday, and during that week, on I think it was the Thursday night, like classic right night right before the end of the the retreat. That night we put a kind of one of those burning bush things where it's like a a wooden stand with a bunch of tiers of candles that all lead up to a a stand. And we put that right in the middle of the room and we had the monstrance set right on top of it. It was seriously one of the most beautiful and impactful encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist that I've ever seen, you know, because I've, I work among conferences and I have the the pleasure of attending some youth conferences over the year. And, you know, it's one thing to see it in, in a giant room, people's hearts is being moved by the Eucharist, just showing up. And, and there's something very profound about that. I think there's all in the same way, there was something very simple, but also very profound about the fact that these, these middle school kids were crowding around this thing so tight that there there just wasn't standing room i mean they like they were climbing over each other to get a view of of the eucharist and to to have a chance to just be near him and i think about that and i think about you know in the moment it is so beautiful but i walk away and that was 70 i think maybe 100 middle school kids that had an encounter with the risen lord in the eucharist and i i think like how how many people have really had the opportunity to experience something like that and so 
to me that it's not shocking that the numbers are as low as they are because i i don't see the average catholic the weekly mass goer or maybe like the a friend a family friend of ours calls them counters like people that go to mass just so that it counts like to count it off for the week (laughs) got it you know and and again it's not their fault because i don't know how many opportunities they've ever had to experience that you know so i think largely the people that are saying that they don't believe it i don't know that blame can necessarily be put on them yeah it does honestly if it can feel a lot like you like i think you brought up a good point that said you were talking about how it didn't feel shocking because it didn't feel shocking for me either so a lot of times when it, being catholic it feels like so i root for i'm a big soccer fan and my favorite soccer team is a team called newcastle united and they're not good they used to be pretty good back before i was a fan of them but they have a terrible owner and uh a lot of drama in the club and things like that and they're always perpetually not living up for to their to what they should be all that kind of stuff and for example for those of you guys who actually follow soccer you are you know that every year three the three bottom teams of the best league go down to the second best league and the three top teams from the second best league come up to the to the top league so we were you know we got like 10th last year we had a really good manager who had a falling out with the owner and moved on so we played we lost our first game to a pretty good team in a good in a good game but i remember so they they were playing against uh, a team called norwich which is a team that was just recently promoted to the first league so a team from the lower league for the second game of the season first home game i remember it was too early in the morning and also i don't get the i didn't get i wasn't going to get the channel that it was going to be on so i slept through the game and i remember checking my score checking the score of the game and seeing oh we just lost to norwich three to one like a team at home, a team that was just recently promoted. And I was like, and I wasn't shocked. You know, I was like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> you know, like it felt, it felt normal. It felt, and honestly, sometimes that, that was like, I equate these two feelings. When I read, when I saw this survey and then went on to read it, I was like, yeah, that seems about right. Like that I would hope for it to be more, but it definitely wasn't shocking. And I think that is pretty sad to existence to live in. He lost me at soccer. Yeah. Just kept what are we talking about talking again? Talking. The, it's like you uh, never stop talking about soccer. I've heard, I've heard it's a failure of catechesis and teaching. I think we do a lot of catechesis, but without much conversion. And if that's all it is, then it, it, the faith is just something to spit back for a test and just jump through hoops. And then I can get out of this Catholic school or I can get out of this confirmation program. And I, I think exactly what you said, Cordy. Um, <laughs> It's about the encounter, and if they haven't had the encounter, then you can't really blame them for not connecting or not seeing through the physical reality to that is Jesus Christ risen, giving us his body daily. Daily, we have the opportunity to experience that. If that's really him, like, there's a story of, Scott Hahn tells it of, like, a Protestant uh, minister that was saying, like, you don't, you guys don't really believe that's Jesus. And Scott Hahn's like, yeah, like, we believe that now. And the guy's like, no, nah, yeah, right. Like, if that was Jesus, I'd be on my knees walking across glass every day to try to get to him. And, like, it's just such a gut check of, like, what's my posture? What's my body language when I'm walking up during every Mass? I was living in Chicago, and there was a there was a priest there, and he attended a conference for priests or something like that. And one of the speakers was was another priest, and he said that, he used to be something like a, a secret agent, like an like an FBI, CIA kind of guy. <laughs> Almost exactly what you think it was like. He he would fly around in jets, right, to like the other side of the world in a night, and then he'd land, 
and then in the dark of night he would be flying across the desert in like their big their big like desert trucks because if they went fast enough they could get past radars so they're moving at like 150 miles per hour just what? like That's screaming not- across the desert right and for for a couple hours cuz so i guess they're only they're only covered by the shadow of night for however long he said that on one of these trips he was riding i think he was in the riding in the back seat kind of like bringing it back to marvel kind of like iron man you know in the back seat of the the truck flying across the desert the guy the guy got they got to talking he and his escort and the guy was oh what do you believe and you know at the time he was like well you know like I'm catholic i guess and he goes, oh, okay, like, tell me about some of your beliefs. And he said, well, you know, um, I guess, like, a big belief for us is, is uh, you know, the Eucharist. We believe that, that God is, is, is present in the Eucharist. And the guy looked at him, he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, look, guy, you know what I'm doing here. We're I'm not flying across the desert 150 miles per hour in the dead of night for no reason. Like, you know why I'm here. And the guy said, no, no, you don't understand me. Like, what are you doing here? Because if if the God of the universe was present physically on Earth, why would you ever leave? Like, why, why would you ever... What's the point? And then he became a priest. So... That's that story, but it, it, it's, it's that, very similar. That is a very powerful. You story. see that like magnetism in the saints of they they know it, they recognize it, they can't be with Jesus enough. And I'm reading a book on Maximilian Colby right now, and it's it's so awesome to see all these other details. Like if people know him, they know the Auschwitz event, but to learn everything that led up to it, to that in his life, all the ways he was serving, all the ways he was again hardcore sleeping on the floor, giving all his food to his to his brothers before germany ever invaded poland like this was just his how he lived mm-hmm. and how close he was to the eucharist how he would he would teach and then he'd go in the chapel he would do the service he'd go back in the chapel like every hour he would would spend some time with jesus like he would just keep going in like he knew where his strength came from i think when your eyes get open to that if this really is what we believe it is like you can't go back like you you've been red pilled so it's it's getting people to that point unless you've had a dynamic youth ministry or hit rock bottom, like some people would take, it takes like their life going really South to wake up to the God question and wake up to the faith. And some people with scripture, like the bread of life discourse in John six, like he seems literal when he says that he's not stopping people from turning away from him. When he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like when people like scripturally don't try to brush it away, but really like, did he mean that? And if so, here's here it is. Here's what we've been doing for two thousand years. So, yeah, I think I have a lot of thoughts. It's and honestly, it's it is it's it's always a gut check. That if this isn't if your first response to this survey is not, which I say this because this wasn't my first response to the survey, but it really needs to be the first response to the survey is to check how you interact with the Eucharist, your, de- your devotion to the Eucharist. And I'm saying your, but I'm really saying mine. Like it, this, that needs to be a reaction from me personally. There needs to be a, a turning towards God in the Eucharist again, that I don't know if it was, if it, if it was wavering, but it's definitely like, like I said, we should, there, we should never leave. We should crawl on our hands and knees to get, get to him in the Eucharist as much as we can. And that, I mean, I wasn't that, you know, so, and I, that's difficult to live, but that, 
this is the reality of what we are dealing with. And I think that that needs to be the first response to the survey. It needs to be the people who are reading it need to put aside their anger for a second and look inwards and see why and how can I affect this? Because this is something that was really I remember I was listening to the Bishop Barron's reaction to this and it's actually really awesome. You know, he gets pretty passionate about it and he's pretty frustrated with, you know, you could see himself and all catechists and like, this is the reality of what we need to do. And there's a lot of work to be done, but he talks about the, you know, genuflecting and how we've kind of lost our sense of just the physical aspect of letting that even transition into genuflecting before the, the tabernacle when you get in and out of pews. And he, he was using the example of how, he said like people that he knew used to genuflect going into the movie theater because movie theater row just because by nature that's what they did when they went into rows and honestly like i could see myself even just at like daily prayer with like the campus ministry student team at servite less and less so making an effort to like really genuinely have a genuflecting moment in front of the eucharist or when we pass by the tabernacle like if i've got stuff in my hand maybe i'll just bow instead of Neil and I think honestly I could like looking back on it now I can see how that has been creeping in and to first and foremost do my best to remedy those things in my own life and that needs to be a, a reaction like I said the the primary reaction I think above all else needs to be every, every Catholic who does feel loyal and moved and like the Eucharist has given them life needs to reinvest into the Eucharist I think above all else yeah, amen, amen. Like, I think personal response has to be the first posture to this problem. And for me, I think it's there has to also be a return to reverence. That's me bodily, but also in how the liturgy is conducted. Because, listen, like, you bet non-reverent, silly liturgies and ugly churches help no one get to the transcendent. When I'm able to see, like, a beautiful church, when I'm, like, if I get to travel or get, like, see a Gothic cathedral on the East Coast or something, you're just like... Ugh, like this is a church like I've grown up in some really ugly churches mm-hmm. and that aspect of realizing God is in this place and this is something awe-inspiring is lost that goes to the music that goes to the preaching etc like so I think there needs to be a return to reverence and church church architecture matters I don't think that I, I get I lose my patience when people assume like everything needs to be in Latin and then everything will be fixed or we just need to turn the priest around at Orientum and then all of our problems will go away. It's like, yeah, that's so, no, that's so frustrating. I think it's, and I, I, there's so many, like, I feel like that's the two reactions that we have right now in, from what I've, the research I've done on the Catholic response to this is that it's either one, it's because strictly like the catechesis of it, or like we've had bad teachers or everyone is dumb, or it's the flip side of it, that there is no reverence in the mass and the new mass is terrible and Latin mass is great. And I'm, like you said, I'm I am so over that dynamic. It is true that the Latin Mass is very beautiful. It is also true that the New Mass is very beautiful. There's been so many people who have had radical encounters with Jesus in the New Mass that it's so I think arrogant to say that like it doesn't work because it I have seen it work when done correctly. And not to mention that like you don't want to paint the traditional mass to on the put it on this pedestal because they changed it for a reason. There was people were leaving the church in droves back then too that's why they that's why they changed the mass to make it more relatable to people people who were sitting in the pews were you know reading their own bible and praying the rosary in the middle of mass because they didn't feel like they could connect to anything that was going on and that's a huge problem as well and to say that like if we just return to this latin high mass that everything will be fixed is that no it's just it just can't be it and 
the bashing of the music and the bashing of whatever it might be. There's just like, what, what leg do you stand on? Even, even when people say like everything should be with the organ, like the organ was invented in what, like the 11th century. That's like not even halfway through. That's like after the halfway mark of Christianity. So like what, I just don't understand what leg that they stand on when they're saying that like it needs to be this way and it, because it definitely fell apart that way too. So I feel like all that, all that stuff kind of lies on the periphery right like to to change uh, i don't know to change like something about cosmetic good. exactly the cosmetics of of the way the mass is celebrated as opposed to like the interior disposition of those celebrating it right and all those things could help right so i'm, I'm not dismissing that those are important things like you said a, a ugly church doesn't really help anyone enter in speak for yourselves but love me some <laughs> ugly churches <laughs> Give me, but. give me concrete walls. Brown on brown. Brown mm. on brown. I'm mm. talking shag carpet would be ideal. Ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Can't always get what we want. Linoleum is fine too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I think it really is just, I don't know. I, I, I like you said. There, I guess there's not like really like a one stop shop. Like here's how you fix everything. We're all enticed by silver bullets. I want a silver bullet to fix this whole thing. And the easiest thing possible, or give me five easy steps and let it be done. And that's not what it takes. It takes work, and it takes. This is why, again, I think I'm in a different season of life with kids, and not the time I used to have when I was like single young adult doing ministry stuff. But I still feel like as tired as I get sometimes, I'm just like. But it, the work is so important. The work is so important to get. It happens one person at a time. Like as you said, like big conferences are awesome, but also like small retreats. 40 to 60 70 kids or less get them to like have that breakthrough jesus moment and they're in and you keep fostering that and that you keep discipling them but like that's where you get that's where you get to form people in the reverence and that's takes a long time yeah, and yeah. and the last thing i'll say too is it starts at home mm-hmm. and that's where if you've got a generation of of catholics that weren't catechized well and aren't they just kind of again they go to mass on Sunday to make a count and that's it. It's not really lived at home. We worship other things. Other things take priority. Then of course, like why did dad doesn't go to mass? Why should I, if we're, you know, at mass, but rolling our eyes or barely engaged. Like if I'm watching my siblings or parents do that, then obviously nothing important is going on. Yeah. So that's my great work as a father. And it's exhausting is we go to mass and I'm trying to, I don't, I'm not putting a phone in front of my kid. They're not, they'll make, they can make it an hour without snacking. We'll bring like little paint books or like little Bible kind of kids books and try to keep them like we're here. This is a different time. Something's happening here and it's, it's a lot of work, but it's and like, we're trying to form them, get used to the mass, you know, where's Jesus. And they point up to the altar and, you know, we have like brother Francis at home, like those cartoons to get them like, <laughs> The parts of the mass, I don't know. So it's just like, but I know I'm I'm a weirdo. Like I'm a rarity. Like most Catholics don't have this, and so of course they're not. That's a whole nother area of support they're not getting when they're approaching each mass. Yeah, we love our silver bullets. I remember this is a little bit derivative, but even just dealing with things like pornography, we you know we talk about with the students all the time and. I was recently in conversation a lot with a recent with a graduate who was, you know, still trying to figure to figure out this struggle. And he's 
God bless his heart, he's working really, really hard at it. But, you know, he'd always come and talk about, like, how I, oh, I read this thing about this little example or this little example, and I, it seems to be working for me. And it works for, like, three days, and then it stops, right? And it's the idea that we want the simple silver bullet. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to Alec. Alec, uh, we miss you. We miss you. When you're listening to this in editing, this is a little message for you. We love you. Leave it in or not. <laughs> Leave it in. Um, and, you know, God bless his heart. He's working so hard at it. But we love the, the easy silver bullets. And the thing is, is, no matter what trick you find online or, like, life hack that you think you've discovered, it doesn't substitute for the hard work. You know, if you're struggling with specifically, like, the pornography is you need to stop going in your bed, in your bed, in your room with your phone. You need to stop. You need to delete your social media apps. You need to take the door off the hinges of your bedroom if you need to whatever you need to do you need to find a way like that stuff is difficult and silver bullets are easy and it's much easier to say like if like you said if we we splash this new we you know or i guess the old latin mass back onto the mass everyone will fall into line but it's because no one really wants to do the the nitty-gritty leading person by person to an encounter with christ which is that's what's irresistible because i think even the latin mass like i think the reason why so many people have like nowadays too when they go to a Latin mass are moved by it is yeah, it's obviously it's, it's, it's grand and it's organized and it's beautiful in that sense, but also it's different, you know, and mm. the, the very act of something being different than what you're used to is going to grip your attention. And I, I think there's no limit to anything that we have that we can't get desensitized to in this world. So even if you, I mean, I imagine if you go to the Latin mass all the time, like, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Cause I don't go to the Latin mass all the time. I only go rarely, you could probably get desensitized to that too, right? And if you don't have an encounter with the Eucharist, you're you're just as likely to fall away, or maybe I mean maybe less likely, but still highly likely to fall away from the Eucharist in Jesus Christ and His Church if you don't have that encounter. But if you have that encounter, you're gonna stay either way. Kind of combining a couple different thoughts that we've that we've shared. I think for a lot of people, there aren't that many of these big once in a lifetime experiences to encounter the Jesus in the Eucharist or like not everyone get, has a conference they can go to or like some, something where there's like that, Oh gosh, like this is huge moment. And again, those, those are, those are good. I definitely needed, needed one, but I know very holy people who have never had these like giant, like, Oh gosh, encounters and, and far holier than me, far holier than me. And so I think, in a sense, it is a silver bullet, but also not really, because it's not easy. A very wise man, a very wise sinner himself, uh, once told me that moments and years are short, but days are long. The daily practice of making even even just 15 minutes, right, which breaks down to 1% of your whole day, even just 15 minutes daily, to go before the Eucharist and even without a plan, you know, just to sit there and just to be with him. That is, I think like the first step to growing like a personal reverence for this, for him. Cause it, it, it's not, it's not a this, it's not an it, it's not a that, it's a, it's a him, it's a, it's a person. Yeah. And I honestly, I could trace pretty much all my doubts that I have of the faith. And, and I remember I had a discussion with one of the guy I graduated high school with, who was like super into the faith. And then, you know, he's a really, really good man, but you know, he, you know, college probably got the best of him a little bit. And we were talking about it and 
I remember it was while I was home, I was visit. I was with, I went to dinner with like him and his parents or something. And he was talking, his mom was talking about how I forget it was, I think probably St. Francis who wrestled with, or it might've been Padre Pio who wrestled with the devil. Cause they both, they both did, but whatever story she was saying. And he was like, Oh, I don't really believe that. And I was, and he was like, he might've just like felt it in his brain or whatever. He's like, there's no way that he actually wrestled with the devil. And I remember like sitting with that. I was like, you know, why doesn't he believe that? And like a couple months later, I like texted him. I reached out to him cause I was in Europe at the time I was in Austria and I just remember like thinking about it. And I was like, about my own life, every time that I like have a doubt about something else, it always could be traced back to like, I really am not feeling it with the Eucharist right now because what what's harder to believe that, you know, Padre Pio wrestled the devil or that bread and wine becomes body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? Body, blood, soul, and divinity. If what, like, you know, by location of Padre Pio, again, that's super believable if God becomes bread or, you know, bread becomes God more like, and that's that I think that that like everything that every time that I find myself falling away in those kinds of like doubtful states, it I can always kind of trace it back down to like, I really am not just, I'm not devoted to the Eucharist right now. I haven't been attending mass regularly. I haven't been praying. I haven't been spending time with him in those moments. And I think that that's what we need to return to, or if not begin for the first time is people need to have that encounter with that because it is like we talked about we briefly touched on but it is a very diff a difficult teaching to understand jesus knew it was a difficult teaching to understand you know but it is so central you know you hear all the time the the source and summit of the faith and we hear we throw that around a lot but we don't really like source and summit those are very that means highest point so like the pinnacle of what the faith offers and also like sources and what gives life to everything else those are that's a pretty bold statement like it's not not something just to be thrown around lightly you know oh you know, the Eucharist, source and summit of the Catholic faith. But do we actually view that? Do we view that sitting in the tabernacle for 15 minutes is greater than... Sitting by the tabernacle. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? <clears throat> sitting in. Did I really? Yeah. You've, never, you've never sat in the tabernacle <laughs> well, before? I, I tried to stop you once. Yeah. You, <laughs> you can't any, stop any, you me. Can't, you can't fit. You're uh, big. <laughs> and... They yeah, have make plus size uh, tabernacles. Anyway, this is going to get real heretical. But the idea that <laughs> <laughs> sitting Lord, next to the to the tabernacle is greater than even like being in front of the the Grand Canyon, right? Or like even the most profound moments that you can have are not the summit of this life here on earth. It's, I mean, ultimately not just praying, but consuming the Eucharist, and because that's the wonderful thing about it is that we have a God who not only he doesn't only say to us. And the, hold on, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit, like because a lot of our, you know, our Protestant brothers and sisters who don't b- believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, I think that they're just missing out. You know, I mean, obviously, I believe that they're missing out. Is that the idea that yes, God wants to walk with you, yes, God wants to watch over you, yes, God wants to guide you, but to understand that God, He said it's not good enough. Like I, yes, I'm gonna walk with you, yes, I'm gonna follow you, yes, I mean, you're gonna follow me, I'll guide you, but that's not good enough for my love for you. I want to physically dwell within you. Why would you not want that to be true? And I feel like we spend so much time debating with our Protestant brothers and sisters and even Catholics who like are apparently struggling with this with this belief as well that like like what what are you gaining by this teaching not being true? You gain you lose a whole lot by this teaching not being true and you gain everything if it is true. And that's where I think like a leap of faith almost is like encouraged in this regard. But I and I would rather someone struggle and be asking questions than just give a meh, like a, just a shrug, or just haphazardly go through the motions every Sunday and not 
intellectually be like wait hold on why and where did this come from and then like that's i feel like is even if there's a little bit of obstinacy at least the, you can use that energy if it's just a shrug my shoulders meh and i receive the eucharist really mindlessly and irreverently like you really don't know what's what you're doing here like that that, that makes me sad the most sad when i see that on sundays people young and old just like we've all gone through the motions we've all been like somewhere else mentally but you see like this kid really has not had an encounter really has no idea the treasure he's receiving and it just pops it like a candy and like that breaks my heart it smacks it yeah mouth open (laughs) um i mean yeah i think we've hit most of the points that we want to get i mean any buddy closing thoughts real quick because I, I mean, I feel like the the solution on my end is, as far as it goes, there isn't really an easy solution. But one, we need to pray. One, we need to go to mass regularly. Invite people into those encounters. Don't put don't put your own pride in the fact that you don't you're struggling to believe in this. I get it. Like it's a struggle. Every I struggle with it all the time. Like, is this real? But don't diminish the power of God by saying that it can't be real. Because by saying like, there's no way this is real, you're only saying that God is not powerful enough. And in reality. Is it really that different, that much different to say that to struggle to believe that God became man versus God be, like takes on the form of bread? Like we're talking infinite God here. It's really into finite things. It really doesn't. It's not. It's definitely a bigger step from God to man than it is f- from man to bread. So don't diminish the power of God in that sense. And just because you are struggling with it doesn't mean that it's not true and is not worth fighting for. Like if there's ever a teaching that's worth fighting for. I think it has to be this one. Now, I guess I guess the closing thought is, is is just like you had said earlier, like what kind of like fleshing out, like what do we gain by this being true? We've mentioned silver bullets a lot in this episode, and I, I feel like this is like the silver bullets of silver bullets, right? If you if you want an answer to like why am I pissed all the time? Why am I sad all the time? Why, why do I continue to like fall into this sin over and over again? If you want, like, if you want to answer these questions, but not even just an answer, but like satisfaction for like an understanding of the lengths that, that he is willing to go to for you. So I think that's all we got. We're just going to ramble, uh, at this point, I think, uh, take hope. It's not the end of the world. You know, and if honestly, if it takes that the whole, you know, we kind of have to lose uh, some Catholics who don't believe in the Eucharist. But if we I, honestly, I would rather have a handful of Catholics who are devoted and devoted to the Eucharist than a whole world full of people who don't get it. Even if, you know, however many people are listening to this, like own it and really try for this, the world will be more changed with five people who live a, a life who have been encountered Jesus in the Eucharist than a billion people who haven't. So, yeah. So that is the, that's the sinner's take right there. And uh, for all those who are listening, you will hear us in the next one.